0: I love going into a room where there are cut flowers, big flower arrangements, uh, just they're wonderful to look at, they're wonderful to smell most of the time. Uh, They're wonderful to touch, and they're just, they bring a refreshing vibrance to a room, and it's a, a powerful thing. But you know, cut flowers have a problem, and that is that they fade and you can leave flowers in a vase for only so long before they start drooping and then it doesn't become so refreshing you get this kind of morbid sickeningly sweet smell of decay in a room where the flowers are fading and then if you leave them even longer they start the 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 blooms start to drop off on the table around it and it just looks like something neglected dead left in decay and uh, the reason we don't like that so much is that it reminds us that all glory fades glory can be brief the beauty of a flower can be especially brief as glorious as it is If it is not connected to life, it is going to die, and it's going to die quickly. We're talking about this because we're going to turn our attention this morning to fading glory versus living, permanent glory. Uh, We are talking about hope. How do we maintain hope? How do we nourish our hope in hostile territory? when things don't necessarily look the best, when things aren't going well, when maybe there is animosity toward us, or uh, there are severe uh, trials upon us. How do you maintain hope and nourish hope in those circumstances? These are the questions we're asking. And uh, we are looking at Second Corinthians chapter 3 as a model for this. Paul is in the midst of deep difficulty with the Corinthian church. The Corinthians are disillusioned with him. They are hearing all sorts of accusations against him. And because of that, their relationship is under strain. And in the middle of that strain, Paul says something very powerful. He says, we have confidence through Christ toward God, verse 4. We are sufficient. We, we are made competent ministers of a new covenant. That covenant is delivered by the Holy Spirit and the principle that he's using for his hope here, for his confidence is at the end of verse six, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul can be confident even when there is difficulty and strain and relational trouble, disillusionment with the Corinthian church. He can be confident in all of these circumstances because he knows that the Spirit is at work giving life and he knows that that life is permanent and powerful. We're going to continue talking about this hope this morning looking at verses 7-7. Through 11, where he talks more about the new covenant versus the old covenant. I'm going to do something that I've talked about the last couple of weeks that is an important priority as we put our focus on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to teach this morning. We're going to go into history um, that is important for us to understand if we're going to understand verses 7 through 11. And we're going to go into some detail this morning about what the Word of God means in this paragraph. We're not just going to skim over it because it has a lot of allusions to difficult things that we don't necessarily talk about very much. We're going to dive down deep into it. And what's going to happen as we do that is the Spirit of God is going to give us a deep sense of what His purpose is among us right now. And he's going to show us that that purpose is eternal and permanent and will never fade. So let's dive into this this morning. Let's talk about a hope that doesn't fade, a hope, a glory that grows. Three words I want to talk about in relation to this paragraph. First word is covenant. Paul has already used this word. Back in the previous paragraph, verse 4, he has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And that, that concept of a new covenant, the Spirit giving life through that new covenant, is what he's talking about in verses 7 through 11. So what is this word? What is it referring to? What does Paul mean by it? A covenant is a vow, a set of promises and in particular in the Bible, which is built on covenants, one after the other, from God to the people, first the people of Israel and then people from every tribe and tongue all throughout the earth. God working through covenants does this, makes promises to save and to bless. So, the covenants of Scripture, the covenant that he made with Abraham, the covenant with Isaac and Jacob, the covenant with Moses, which we'll talk about, the covenant with David, and overwriting all of that, an eternal covenant that God made with his Son and with the Holy Spirit, these covenants were designed to save us from our sins. These promises are the promises that God gives us to say, I will save you. You cannot save yourself. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will pay the redemption price to get you back for my own possession, for my own glory. The covenants of Scripture are also promises given to bless. So God is not simply saving us to kind of leave us on tenterhooks or to put us on ice, as we might say. He saves us out of sin in order to bless us, cause us to grow, to become more like Him, and to cause us to flourish for His glory. So when we talk about these two covenants here, the covenant of the letter that is delivered by the law of Moses and the covenant of the Spirit that is delivered through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. We're talking about two covenants that are designed to save us and bless us. We're also talking about two different periods of history. So I've mentioned the Mosaic Covenant. You all know the the center of the Mosaic Covenant, it's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments came down from Mount Sinai in Moses' arms on tablets of stone, carved there in letters of the law. And those Ten Commandments are the markers, the boundary lines for Israel's behavior, and really for all time, defining what is right and what is wrong. I am the God who saved you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take my name in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath. Honor father and mother. You will not steal. You will not murder. You will not covet. You will not commit adultery. All of these things were at the center of the law of Moses, the covenant of Moses. Now you say, well, that sounds pretty good. What could be wrong with that? What could could possibly uh, be inferior about that covenant? After all the Ten Commandments have lasted all down through time. They are the summary of right and wrong. They're a kind of moral and ethical North Star. Isn't that a good thing? Well here's the problem with the covenant of Moses and the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments. Here's the problem with the letter carved in stone. It kills. Because those Ten Commandments come at us with the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the perfection of God, and they show us that we are held to that standard. And when we break that standard, The letter of the law condemns us. It kills us. Um, We think of uh, the Ten Commandments as being a way to live a holy life, but for Israel, it was not that. And indeed, for us, it is not that. The Ten Commandments are an accounting device. They accomplish a very simple thing. They count up the presence of sin. And so the covenant with Moses was given to Israel to show Israel its sinfulness, that its sinfulness is not just in its behavior, but goes all the way to the heart, to the intentions of the heart. Think about coveting. Coveting is forbidden by the 10 Commandments, but it's not an outward action. You can covet without saying anything or doing anything. It's not like the act of murder, where you physically take an implement and you kill someone, you take away their life. Coveting is not like that. Coveting is a line drawn in our hearts saying, do not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Do not say, that should be mine. So the 10 Commandments come at Israel and come at us with death. And they come at us with this condemnation saying, there is sin in your heart and in your behavior. Now what is to be done about that? Justice must be done about that. So this raises the question, how is the covenant of Moses, how is the letter of the law, a promise designed to save? How is it a promise designed to bless? Well, the law of Moses comes to Israel not just with the Ten Commandments, but with commandments for sacrifices. The sacrifices are... The, the, the shedding of the blood of animals on the altar in the tabernacle at first and the temple later. And those sacrifices, God says, these sacrifices cover your sin and enable me in my holiness to dwell in your midst. So I will live in the temple with you in spite of your sinfulness Because of all of this blood that pays for your sins. So there is um, a description of the problem of sin in the law of Moses. And there is a promise of a solution. The sacrifices are that promise. What the law of Moses says is there is a real day of atonement coming when the real high priest will take his own blood and enter into the holy of holies and cleanse all who believe once for all and their consciences will be purified and they will be set right eternally with me and I will not just dwell in an outward temple with them, I will dwell in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Because that high priest will not just make payment with his own blood for sin. He will sit down at the right hand of God, having risen from the dead and having ascended into heaven. That is the promise of the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law accounts for the problem of sin and promises the ultimate solution in Jesus Christ. So, this is the first concept we need to understand as we talk about uh, this paragraph, verses 7 through 11. We need to understand the covenants that uh, Paul is referring to. Second thing we need to understand is a word that he uses over and over again in these verses it's the word glory. We don't think in terms of glory. We don't build glorious buildings. Our buildings are kind of bland, actually. Even when they're big. They're just kind of really big and tall and maybe impressive in that way, but not glorious in the sense that they take us out of ourselves. I'll never forget the first time I walked into an actual old cathedral in England. It was Southwark Cathedral in London and it's a relatively small cathedral, but it blew me away because it's so high and it's, it's filled with light streaming in from these incredible stained glass windows and there's color and there are these vaulted ceilings, you cannot stop looking up to save your life. The building compels you to look up. Everything points up. Uh, They used to build buildings to express glory. What is glory? Glory is radiance. It's It's coming from the idea of light So, if you think of, uh, I've got a lot of radiance in front of me and I just looked at it and now I can't see anything. These lights shining at me are radiating light. And uh, if we think about um, anything uh, that shines and gives light, we can think about the sun, uh, but I, I think about the moon when I think about glory. One night I was uh, up in Oregon as a college student and I was walking along and I'd just been to an amazing concert and I was walking back to my room at, uh, at the college and I looked up and the sky was just the perfect conditions for a full moon to shine through some kind of, of high, thin clouds and the moon had a perfect halo all around it. It was radiating light in the night. It was a, it, I just stood there and looked at it because that's what glory does. It stops you in your tracks, takes you out of yourself. It radiates beauty and, and glory. The glory of God is the radiance of his character, the radiance of his Goodness. So whenever the Lord shows up, light shows up, lightning shows up, fire shows up. There's also darkness and clouds and earthquakes. Uh, So picture Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with those 10 commandments. What's going on on Mount Sinai? The glory of God is being displayed through fire and lightning and storm and just the raw, physical power of God upon that mountain. And from that mountain comes down the Ten Commandments. Paul is talking here about the glory of God, the radiance of his character, and he's making an argument to us in verses 7 through 11 These verses are basically repeating the same point over and over again. They repeat the same point, actually, I think, in four different ways. The argument is from the lesser thing to the greater thing. And the argument basically is, if the lesser thing, the letter that kills, came with glory, then the greater thing, the Spirit who gives life, comes with more glory. And that's all he's saying about this. So let's look at it. Verse 7. First thing he says. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. And we just talked about that. That's the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments. If that ministry that kills us came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Now, that's a long if clause there. It ends with a rhetorical question. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The first thing that Paul says about this lesser thing, the ministry of death, the letters carved on stone, the first thing he says about it is, it did come with glory. Think about that. If you're looking at Mount Sinai, waiting for Moses to come down that mountain, you're watching a display of power and glory that is Awesome to behold. It is visually awesome. It is loud because, in addition to all the noises of the storm, there are trumpets from the heavenly places blasting the whole time. <clears throat> and if you, uh, if if you also consider what else is going on earthquakes going on on that mountain so you are being physically shook all the while you're beholding this glory that's the ministry of lesser things and Moses comes down that mountain and you realize that his face is shining it is radiating the glory of the God who he has just been talking with The God who carved those words of the law on stone has been speaking to Moses and his light, his glory, has been shining at him so powerfully that when Moses comes away, his face is still radiating that glory. And he says, Paul says here, the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. It's like... Wow, this guy is radiating something, and I can't even look at him. Moses, as we will see in uh, the, the coming verses, put a veil over his face to cover up something that happened after he encountered God every time. He would go into the tent of meeting Even after delivering the law, he would speak with God, he would encounter the glory of God there, and he would come out with his face shining. He would cover his face with a veil so that the people would not see the glory fade. Now, here's the point. The ministry of death did come with glory. The justice of God is part of his character. It is light. And hope to us because in a world full of sin one of the things we need most is justice we just can't stand in the presence of justice that's the whole problem so um, the ministry of death did come with glory so much glory that they couldn't gaze at Moses's face and that glory was fading it was being brought to an end even right at that moment now that's pretty impressive if you can't look at someone for the glory that is on their face and that glory is fading think of it this way this is a vase of cut flowers and as it is as those flowers are immediately cut and put in the water they are glorious But they will not live. Because the glory of God is coming at Moses. There is nothing inside of Moses where that glory lives. Where it it becomes not cut flowers, but flowers planted inside Moses. That's not there. And so the glory comes at him and it fades. And it comes at Israel and it fades. So the argument is very simple. If that ministry of death came with the glory of cut flowers, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The second thing that he says, uh, piling onto that and explaining it in verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So there's a kind of just glory in condemnation, but condemnation is not righteousness. If you're bringing righteousness out of a person's life, That is going to have a greater glory than condemnation. Condemnation brings shame and death. Righteousness brings life, beauty, goodness. Third thing he says, verse 10, again, just making the same argument. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. So let's suppose that you take a vase of cut flowers into a vast, glorious garden, and you set those flowers there in the sun, and they wither, but the garden thrives. And all of the plants in the garden just keep flowering and the fruit keeps coming and those cut flowers in the vase in the sun just keep dying and the blooms just keep dropping. Paul is saying there's no glory there anymore. The glory of the lesser is entirely wiped out by the glory of the greater. So he is saying here The law of Moses now has no glory for the Christian, none at all. Not because it's bad, not because it's wrong, not because it's obsolete, because in a sense it continues to do its work, it it continues to account for all of our sins, it continues to do all of these things. But the glory that it had, the glory of saying this is what you need, salvation from your sins. And this sacrifice is how you will be saved. That glory of the grace of God, gone. Fully replaced by Jesus Christ. Because he died the death, he paid the price, he spilled the blood, he purified the sin, and it is finished. And because it is finished, all the glory now goes to him. Because in the new covenant, it is the glory of the sinner made righteous, it is the glory of the dead made alive. Final thing he says, verse 11. Again, basically the same argument with a different nuance. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. You realize what he's saying? The letter kills. That came with a fading cut flower glory. The Spirit gives life. That's not cut flowers in a vase. That's a transplanted flowering plant planted in your heart, mind, your being and it continues to grow and continues to flower it does not drop its blooms and die it is permanent it is eternal and Paul says the glory of that must be even greater So let's think of it this way. Moses had glory because there was glory coming at him. We have glory because there is glory growing through us. It's no longer coming at us. It lives in us. And that means more than that. It's not just in your heart or yours or yours, it's in every heart that believes in Jesus Christ. The Spirit dwells there and that permanent radiance of the glory of God is growing and growing and growing. That is greater than the law. The letter kills but the Spirit gives life and the glory of the Spirit is permanent. What Paul is saying is, that's why I'm confident, Corinthians, we're having trouble right now. You're disillusioned with me right now. We are in strain because we have difficulties, we have disagreements, we don't understand how to proceed with uh, the life that has been given to us. But, we do know this, the Holy Spirit lives in us and His glory is Permanent, and that is my confidence and my hope, even in this situation. Let me pause and see uh, what questions we have. Um, Are you saying covenant equals promise? Um, Not quite. a covenant may have many promises attached to it. A, a covenant is a um, is a very formal kind of promise, and it, so one covenant, like the covenant with Abraham, has at least three different promises attached to it. Um, our new covenant through Jesus Christ has many, many promises attached to it. And not all of them rise to the level of a covenant, but they are all part of the covenant of Jesus Christ. And this is what makes them so powerful um, when we're talking about the Lord Jesus um, leading us by his Holy Spirit. That's not just a promise that we hope God will remember That is the whole reason Christ went to the cross was to save us from our sins and give us his Holy Spirit. So that promise of the Holy Spirit is part of a much bigger plan, a much bigger package, if you will, of things that God is giving to us. So I wouldn't necessarily put an equal sign between them, um, uh, so that's a good clarification. A covenant is a big bundle of promises. And they are, covenants are the building blocks of Scripture. They are the stages of the plans of God. So, um, good clarification there. Let's talk about this in terms of change today. There are many, many things that need to change in the church of Jesus Christ. And um, as we have been saying, one of the biggest things that needs to change is we need a reformation like the one 500 years ago around the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We need to recapture our sense of the power of the Holy Spirit and what He is doing in the life of the church. Um, You put it a little bit differently Why is the church in America fading? Why is it so weak? Why does it lack power? You might think of it like this. If I'm building a house and I um, have the, the builders build the the forms for the concrete slab that's going to be the foundation. How important are those forms? Well, they're pretty important because that's that's what's going to determine whether that slab is really square and level and all of that kind of stuff. But do the forms stay? No. Well, no, they just get ripped out, thorn, uh, thrown on the on the rubbish heap. They're not part of the house. They're temporary. Now, what would you think of me if if I was on the job site saying, oh, those forms don't look very good. I really want the grain of the wood to go this way. I don't want it to run the other way. And could you use some finishing nails on that? It just looks pretty, and it could be sanded quite a bit. I mean, it's, it's pretty, It's pretty rough, and by the way, when are you going to paint the forms? Because they just don't look very... This is nonsense. If I spent time like that, on something that is temporary, you'd say, you do not understand how to build a house. And that is true, by the way, but that's not for this reason. You don't understand what your real priority should be. You should be focusing on the integrity and the beauty of the permanent things on the house, not the temporary things. Why is the church in America fading? Because it's obsessed with temporary things. We are fussing over whether the forms for the slab look right. And we're not paying an ounce of attention to the permanent things that really matter because they will last in the kingdom of God. We are a cut flower culture of Christians in America. We're living off the blooms and the glory of past generations. We're meeting in the buildings they built. We are living under the structures of ministry that they designed. And in many cases, we're living off their spiritual wealth and their material wealth. We're a cut flower culture, and it's fading because there isn't life in those flowers. The glory of God from past generations is coming at us, and we're reflecting it, but it's not going to last. What is it that changes our situation from being a cut flower church to being a living, growing, vital church? It's the Holy Spirit. It's when the life, the glory, the faith, the change is living, growing, and blooming constantly in us, not in our fathers and our grandparents. So, how does this work? A church governed truly by the Holy Spirit focuses on the truth the plan of God all down through the ages by which God said this is how I am going to save you out of sin and bless you for my glory. A church governed by the Holy Spirit never takes its eyes off that plan because the Holy Spirit made that plan, inspired the scriptures that revealed that plan, The Holy Spirit was behind all the covenants that make up that plan and the Holy Spirit is the one saying, look well to these things, pay attention to the Holy Scriptures, pay attention to the apostles and the prophets until the day dawns in your hearts and the Lord comes again. The Holy Spirit is the one saying that it's very easy to take our eyes off these old things of the scriptures and put our eyes on the temporary things of today and get obsessed with whatever it is that's bothering us about our life today. Not enough money, uh, bad economy, political problems, cultural problems, whatever it, whatever it is that obsesses you. Those are the temporary things that will fade. and when we take our eyes off the plan of God which is the permanent thing that he has completed in Jesus Christ we shift our focus and we lose the power of the Holy Spirit second thing that a reformation around the doctrine of the Holy Spirit really demands is a focus on love this should ring a bell truth love Church governed by the Holy Spirit cannot just blow the dust off of old things. That's not why we study the plan of God and strive to understand it and put it at the center of our focus. We do that because that's the source of our unity. God promised in ages past. God spoke through the apostles and the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, And his son completed the plan. And why did he do that? In order to bring us into unity together by the Holy Spirit. Look at any passage in the New Testament you wish to about the Holy Spirit and his ministry. Take 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It's all going to be about the body and how the Holy Spirit develops and grows and nurtures the love of the body, the power and strength of the body, because he is present in the whole body. So a church that is governed by the Holy Spirit and really takes, it, it takes leadership from the Holy Spirit is focused on the truth, it is focused on love. One of the problems that we have with our doctrine of the Holy Spirit today is that the Holy Spirit is very much about me as an individual. My emotions, my spiritual life, my needs, my need for wisdom, my need for leading from the Holy Spirit. It's individual. In the New Testament, we need to understand the Holy Spirit is not focused on as an individual thing from God our doctrine of the Holy Spirit is weak because we are selfish. And we're focused on our own problems, our own needs. It's easy to understand why that happens. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit is alive and most powerful through the whole church and the unity of the whole church. And that is um, of the essence if we are to reform and change in our view of the Holy Spirit. And finally, focus on the radiance of God's glory. If we really want to recapture the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit and put it into practice so that it changes us, we have to have that radiance always before our eyes, the glory of God the greatest theme in all the scriptures, God's own expression of his good character, his faithfulness, his justice, his grace, God's own expression of his glory living in us. All of these things mean that when we use the, very important tools of ministry around us, they all have to have one purpose and one purpose only, to express the glory, the radiance of God's character. And if we focus on truth, love, and bringing glory and honor to God, then we are walking by the Spirit and beginning to submit to His leading, in a powerful way. And we will see His power at work in our hearts and in our lives. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we call upon Your name right now. There are many things we need from You. We need a reawakened sense of the immediate power of your spirit in the life of our body. We need to see you at work. Lord Jesus, we need also an immediate sense of your leading in our lives. We need to submit to it, submit to each other in order to see that glory shining on one another's faces. We ask that you would give us that sense as well. And in the midst of all of this, we pray for a renewal of our confidence and boldness in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in living for Jesus, we would constantly see each day a growth of his glory in our lives. We ask you for this not because we would like it but because this is our life. We need it. We are desperate for it. And so we come to you and we ask you to give it in our midst. We pray it in your name and for your sake. Amen.